0: I remember Alan, hello Alan, and myself going to see this movie when it first came out in 1990 because we thought, well, the second one hasn't been that good. That was pretty poor. Not frightening at all. So, you know, how scary could this be? And anyway, it's got George C. Scott in the main part. He's not really a great horror actor. And, you know, you've got William Peter Blatty, who, of course, is a great writer, but directing this and we thought well it's his first big directorial job so how great could this be it's not going to be that scary is it and then we came out of the cinema two hours later with our pants full of poo poo because this movie Exorcist 3 is an undiscovered gem what Blatty doesn't try to do, because he wrote and directed this movie, is he doesn't try to do what's already been done with the first movie, which was why there was such an issue with the second movie, really. He um, he reboots it to a certain extent. You've still got some of the characters that you remember. You've still got the tropes that you remember. You've still got priests in there. You've still got... Father Karras in there. Um, I'll explain more about that in a bit. And but the thing is, he um, he sets it as a kind of um, murder cop drama, really. George C. Scott plays uh, Lieutenant Kinderman, who's a, an old school, time served police officer who is um, who has on his mind the previous Zodiac killer. Um, and is not the Zodiac Killer that's a different film entirely the Gemini Killer has on his mind those, those deaths and um, he is currently investigating a lot of other deaths which are um, religious in nature for instance a, a decapitation of a young boy with the head replaced by a religious statue um, a priest killed during confession and he's, of course, playing the character from the first film that, um, that, of course, Lee J. Cobb played. This takes place 15 years after the first film. And quite rightly, I'd say, the um, the antics of Exorcist II are ignored in this movie quite right, too. So, of course, he's um, he's palled up with uh, another priest Um who he goes to movies with? You know, this is similar to the to, to the movie to the, the stuff in the first film when he has the chat with um, Father Karras at the racetrack, um, and and also some of the the nicer scenes early on in this um, in this film are with him and Ed Flanders as Father um, Joseph Dyer, who spark off each other really nicely. You know, they have a really Honest relationship. Father Dyer then ends up in hospital. And um, they're doing some tests. It's an old school 1960s hospital. Um, the nurses don't seem that concerned. Uh, there's a variety of um, uh, of odd, odd nurses and odd behaviour. And the rest of the film, more or less, takes place in this hospital. And it seems the mental ward that is... Uh, Attached to the hospital and because it's an old-school kind of 1960s hospital um, There isn't that happy um, Pastel colors and lots of posters feel to lots of hospitals as there are now. This is quite austere and Lots of strip lighting all of that sort of thing, you know blues and whites um, With you know fake wooden doors quite It's quite a good setting for this kind of um, film, because nothing can really take your eye. Well, of course, as you might expect, the um, the lovely priest dies, and um, all of his blood is arranged in neatly in cups on the tray by his side. It, it Obviously. Um, Kinderman is affected by this and George C. Scott plays his general sort of, um, it's almost as if the cumulative years of having to deal with this kind of behaviour and this kind of murder and death have really finally got to him and he starts to snap at people. At this time also, he goes to see a patient X. And when he comes in there first, we think, what? What? I've seen him somewhere before when he's first visited, but... He goes in and has a chat with him, and it's Father Karras, who, of course, dies at the end of the first film after ta- after having taken the the demon into him and thrown himself through the window rather than kill Regan. Um, and that person is played by Jason Miller. So, you know, you got that link, um, but very quickly he becomes... The real patient X, who calls himself the Gemini killer, who can't be the Gemini killer because he fried in the electric chair. But he's telling George C. Scott, William Kinderman, you tell everybody that I am the Gemini killer. And he is played with real intensity and and some real all in quality by Brad Dourif. Now, it's, very, it's quite difficult to, to play. You know, this, this part has long monologues of ranting and raving. And um, there's not a lot to grab onto as an actor. And he really does give us highs and lows in this. He really does try to leaven it with some entertaining stuff. And actually quite manages it. He's, he's intensely and eminently watchable here. Very quickly, a nurse in the um, in the hospital is murdered, and more about that later. And a, a doctor, Dr. Dr. Temple, who's, before uh, Kinderman comes to see him, to uh, discuss an issue with him, he's got something on paper that he wants to read back, and he may be being controlled by Patient X, the Gemini killer. He kills himself, and the bodies are piling up. Then the Gemini killer or patient X, tells Kinderman that he is being controlled by the master, the master being that demon, or those demons that were inside Regan, who are furious at being cast out by Father Karras, and at this point it becomes clear that um, a woman who seems to have dementia in one of the mental um, wards has been possessed and is being controlled by the master or patient X and is sent to um, Kinderman's home to kill his his wife, children and mother-in-law with an enormous pair of very shiny chrome surgical shears. She's stopped though by the sudden appearance and we only see him a couple of times, so it does seem as if it's late into the party of Doctor Paul Morning, played by Nicole Williamson, who who was a great actor at times, uh, who has uh, dyed blonde hair, sort of white hair, to look, I suppose, the same way that Max von Sydow's father Marin looked in the first um, in the first film. He tries to perform an exorcism. But it all ends very badly. Um, the the demon is too powerful. And the Bible he is reading from suddenly explodes and he is, he is thrown up against the wall and the ceiling. It's a lovely moment. And there are some fantastic moments in this movie. And I will, um, I will talk more about that in a minute. But he gives them some kind of uh, respite um, or, 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 or at least some time to uh, ensure that the family aren't killed. Kinderman then rushes back to the hospital to try and kill patient X or Carus, and Carus finally manages to gain control when the the priest comes back to life and tells um, Kinderman to shoot him while he is in while he is in in, in body. He does and finally puts him out of his misery, and that's the end of this film. Now there are some issues with this. What you do when you make it a cop drama is that you make it look a bit like a made-for-TV movie, and it is a bit like that, and you make it look smaller than it should be. You know, you know, uh, we are legion because we are a couple of people. So there is that issue. The whole thing is a little bit more parochial, if you like. And while you're not having priests dealing with this, while you're having a very um, spit-and-sawdust, meat-and-potatoes... Um, Policeman dealing with this, it does become a lot smaller, but that allows for some really lovely directorial flourishes. For instance, just out the corner of your eye, a moment when he's walking up the stairs in a um, in a very very lovely baronial hall, and there's just. Something you, you see out the corner of your eye with statues. There's a lot of um, images of statuary here. Statues crying, statues opening their eyes. It, it really is a lovely uh, image and quite a frightening image. We also have a, a, an extended scene, which is the way he pulls us in, William Peter Blatty, on this. Well, first of all, let me talk about an extraordinary moment where later on in the film, And uh, the master has um, taken over the elderly lady who has dementia, the patient. Um, He's in the room looking for her. And we see him shot from just below. And she's on the ceiling like a fly, walking over his head. And he's oblivious to that. It's beautifully done. But the scene, which is the most extraordinary in the whole film is shot-in, long shot, a corridor with rooms off either side and a policeman sitting halfway down as a security or a security guard and halfway down on one side, the reception desk with the nurse sitting there and she hears a noise and the noise seems to come from where we are seeing it and she hears it again And it's night and there's no one else around apart from the policeman or the security guard. And she slowly walks down to where we are. To where the room is, right by our peripheral vision. And she slowly opens the door, walks in. There doesn't seem to be anyone there. She looks to her left for the sound. And it's the sound of ice cracking in the glass. She breathes a sigh of relief. And suddenly a patient jumps from behind the bed and shouts, What are you doing? Are you trying to wake me up? I'm trying to sleep here. And she rushes out of the room, breathes a sigh of relief again, goes to the desk, and things take their time. We pass a minute, it seems. We pass several minutes, it seems, while she shuffles papers and while the um, the security guard... Is um, is is greeted by another security guard who asks him to come with him, and we think this is the moment when something will happen. It doesn't. The security guard comes back, and then he's sitting there, and she thinks, "I, I need to go to another room," so she goes to another room on the on the on the left hand side of the screen. The security guard then starts his round, so he leaves the picture. She goes into the room. We don't follow her. We wait. She comes out of the room everything seems fine she walks across the corridor and immediately the elderly woman is following her with the huge medical shears it's beautifully done it pulls you in pushes you out makes you nervous calms you down gives you false starts makes you make your own conclusions But I wasn't expecting that final And even when I saw it again I wasn't expecting That final moment This is I think A movie which is Grounded in TV And smaller than it should be Because The Exorcist should be A gigantic movie With enormous um, Implications But it does have Some extraordinary Scenes, A great central performance, to be honest, from a George C. Scott, an actor who I'm not very keen on in general. And those directorial fl- flourishes, which are just wonderfully um, frightening and just wonderf- wonderfully thrilling. Make this movie something special. I think this is a four and a half out of five. It wasn't as good as I remembered it. But it is something special, and people have forgotten it. The Exorcist 3 is a lot better than the Exorcist 2, but that's not hard to do, is it? Ta ta!